You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou art. Will you please join me for prayer? Blessed Lord, thank you for these words from the scripture that challenge us and console us. Lord, we know that we are always among the one sheep who wandered away from you. And we are also among the 99 you have gathered in. We thank you for your grace that you have sought us out. Now help us, Lord, to become the people you have gathered us to be as we reflect together upon your word and are built up by it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, of course, just a few weeks ago, we got back from our youth trip. We were uh, out on doing service projects and doing devotions and things for a week. And, of course, uh, along with that comes all the things that happen when you're away on a week of retreat. Is a lot of, uh, Emily, fair to say, in-jokes went on that week. at the youth trip, uh, a lot of back and forth. And um, one of the things I commonly heard the youth exchanging back and forth is some barb went back and forth. There'd be this kind of, oh, you got burned. Uh, getting burned is a comment uh, we know well. It means someone got the best of you in a particular situation. Uh, and um, this is the classic kind of text that pastors like to preach what they call turn and burn sermon, turn or burn sermons on. Um, you, know, you even get Jesus saying he must turn it basically into a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven and in the middle he warns you about the fires of hell. So pastors get up and preach about if you don't uh, get your act together, boy, you're, you're on the road to perdition. And that's usually followed either by an altar call or passing the plate, you know. Um, but I want you to, we're going to slow down a little bit and look at this whole context of this teaching of Jesus is because you can't isolate one part from another. They all hang together one to another. So I'm not going to preach a turn or burn sermon this morning. As real as the fires of hell are and how we need to keep that in mind, we need that motivation to realize we can in fact walk away from the grace God has given us in Jesus Christ and take ourselves down a dark road. Jesus' purpose in mentioning it is not just to warn us to stay attached to him. As we enter this reading, the disciples are coming to him and saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Just recently in the gospel, they've been upset that people were bringing children to him to be blessed and we get those wonderful words we love so much, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples still don't get it. Children are like the kingdom of heaven. And so they're like, hey, Jesus, who's going to be greatest? Who's the greatest around here? And Jesus is like, he's still not getting it, huh? Let me take the smallest and put you, let me take a child and put him right here and explain to you how heaven works. 
And we often think of children as innocent. And I look at Barb when I say this because she ran a daycare for 30 years. Um, you only think a child is innocent until you watch a two-year-old punch another two-year-old because they have the toy that they want. <laughs> In the ancient world, they didn't think of children as innocent. That comes to us from a guy named Jean-Jacques Rousseau and it got into the popular culture through the Montessori schools and a whole lot of other things. It's a romantic view of children. Children are just like adults. Mixture of good and bad. They're a little less sophisticated in the way they express that good and bad. Instead of spreading evil gossip, they just hit one another. What a child is, though, is utterly and completely dependent on the adults in their lives. A child, for all they may think that they're tough at two years old, we had to deal with this with my son. He had quite the temper at that age. Sometimes I had to show him he was not the biggest bull in the paddock. Sometimes I had to restrain him physically when he wanted to hurt himself or his sister. But all I had to do was neglect him for a little bit of time. And he fell to pieces emotionally. If I neglected him with food or water, he would have died. Children are utterly dependent on the adults in their life. And Jesus, by placing this child in the midst of these disciples who are wondering, hey God, who's got the biggest spiritual uh, bank account here? Who's built it up? Who's done the greatest stuff? He's like, this child knows how utterly dependent they are. Jesus says, you must humble yourself and become like this child. That's who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The one who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who recognizes their utter dependence on their heavenly Father. And doesn't think they've accrued any credit to themselves with what they've done. But that doesn't make what we do inconsequential. See, what we do by faith, we do by God's grace, it's God working through us to touch the lives of the people around us. So the teaching goes on. After you know that you are in the kingdom of God, utterly by the good gift of your Father in heaven, and you are completely dependent on Him for your position there, then, then you start to learn how to live in the family of God. Even when Ian was at his worst, never threatened him kicking him out of the family. But now that he's 19 and away at school, he could choose to walk away from the family and there's nothing I could do about it. That's the warning we get in the middle. Don't let anything impede your relationship, this utter dependence on God. Don't let anything in your life become a stumbling block. No ambition. No greed. No lust. No false modesty. Don't let anything Stand between you and the God who loves you and lead you to walk away from Him who sacrificed everything that you might be part of His kingdom. That's the purpose of that middle section. And then Jesus gets very, very practical with that because when He's saying, don't, let, don't cause one of these little children to stumble, guess what, folks? If we're in the kingdom of heaven, that's all of us. 
If our position in the kingdom is to be like a little child, we're not to cause others to stumble in their walk. And that means resolving conflict and hurt within the faith community. And so we have this teaching. Doesn't Matthew 18, verses 15 and after, doesn't that seem like it should be in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount? But instead we find it much later in the gospel, in the context of who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And my wife says regularly, she says, we should have Matthew 18, 15 posted in every room in every church all over the world. (laughs) Because if you live in a family, you know that there is no way to avoid conflicts. I love my wife dearly. We do not pack the car together anymore. (laughs) We've just found that that's one thing we do so differently, it's always going to result in an argument. So, are you packing the car this time? Great. (laughs) I'll clean the kitchen. (laughs) Or vice versa. We just can't both do the same thing. But when conflicts arise that are serious, you have to find a way to resolve them. If you have a, a tip with a brother or sister in Christ, and that language is important because that's what we are. We're family to one another. Jesus gives us the prescription for fixing it. And it's amazing. Every time I have violated this prescription, the conflict has gotten worse. And when I humble myself and do what Jesus says, things resolve themselves. The first step is go to the person in private and see if you can figure it out. Now this involves humility. Because Jesus isn't saying, go to them and tell them how right you were again. That's easy. (laughs) This means going and seeing how they might be right. Have you ever fixed a conflict with a spouse or a best friend or a parent or a sibling or someone at work that you were close to? And what you discover, this is how the conversation goes is something like this. You know, I was having a bad day. I'm sorry I took it out on you. Oh, well, you know, I kind of came back at you a little rough. But, you know, I think you were right when you said this. Well, yeah, but I think you were right when you said that. It involves both of you acknowledging where you were wrong, both of you acknowledging where you were right. There's a very few fights in the world where you were completely right and the other person was completely wrong. Then there's the other 99% of them. If you go to the person in private, you both get to save face. By confessing your sins to each other because they were against each other. Now, if that doesn't work, you've got to bring in somebody else from the body of Christ, someone else from the family. Maybe you've had this dynamic at a family uh, get-together. Uncle Joe and Uncle Ben are fighting again, just like they did when they were three and five. Grandma, can you help with this? <laughs> You bring someone in who's older and wiser and whose opinion is respected. This involves, again, humility on the part of both people. This is why Jesus says we must humble ourselves and become as a child. Because now we're going to have to, we can't sort it out between ourselves. Now I've got to listen to Grandma's voice as though it is the voice of God telling me, back to your corner, back to your corner. Here's where you're both right, here's where you're both wrong. Whatever she has to say. If that doesn't work, if I can't accept that, if, if my, the person I'm fighting with can't accept that, only then do we go to the whole church body. Those are, those are fun things, aren't they? You ever have a family talk? 
where everyone gets together because of the misbehavior one or two is causing the whole family to become a mess. But you can still sort it out at that level. Only, only at that point, only if at that point you can't resolve the conflict are you allowed to treat each other as though you're outside the family. Because effectively, you have ignored the voice of God when He spoke through your brother, when He spoke through the elder, when He spoke through the whole family of God. You've decided, I don't want to be part of this family anymore. And you've walked away. And that's what Jesus is warning us against doing in that middle section. Do not cast away the grace of God and throw ourselves into the outer darkness. Stay connected with the family to which He's united. Work out the difficulties. Sit in humility beneath His Word. And the quicker we do that in our private lives, the quicker we will experience the grace of that God who left behind all those who were safe inside of the corral and came looking for us who had wandered away. Wrapping his arms around us and carrying us home. Forgiving our sins and giving us the wisdom and the power to change our lives that we might sin no more and be an encouragement to others. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, it is difficult when we fight with family. There's so much history. Grant us to look on one another as though we are all family. With all the difficulties we possess. Lord, each of us has our little isms, our little problems. And sometimes they flare up into big problems as our egos get in the way. Help us to be like that little child and humble ourselves under your word. Confessing that you are God and you know what's best for us. And seeking peace with our brothers and sisters. Until in the words of the liturgy we can all be united in one mind. Even as we are united in your blood. We ask it in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, by whose grace we are saved. Amen. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best heart in the day and the night. Keep your sleeping, thy presence, my life.